today's episode of El Politico is recorded on Friday the 7th of January 2022, one day and one year after Insurrection Day. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence! This time of the year is always a time of reflection and looking back. And I really think that when you've stood at the traffic lights up in Dublin, I think somewhere around Grafton Street, and a notorious singer at the time, frontman Morrissey, stood beside me, he started everything from a point of view of his, I don't know, dominance of music at the time. So we're going to play a little bit of Morrissey and then we're going to reflect on the year that has been 2021. Oh yeah, great, great sound there of the Smiths fronted by Morrissey. Well, two thousand and twenty. We're going to pull you up there. It, mm. it, 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 oh, it's the way around, it, it, Morrissey. It, it, yeah, it, it was that the, the, the Smiths were R.I.P. at that stage, and it was Morrissey's first single afterwards. Okay, right, we got sorry, that. Sorry, no, uh, 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 it, it was never your. Uh, the Smiths were never your thing. You're more of a Rick Astley man. <sighs> <laughs> Stock cake and waterman. We've started the show so well. So th thank you for all our listeners joining us. This is El Political for the new year. We try to be fair year. and balanced and accurate. Yeah, kind of, sort of. <laughs> well, I'm going to start. I'm going to start 2022 on our new show with a caption from one of the first Batman movies. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds from the notorious Penguin, Politician of the Year 2021. Who are we talking about? What are our nominations? If we were the X Factor, if we were the kind of the, the judges in the room, who are our nominations? Would we be talking about Mary Lou MacDonald? Yeah, I suppose Thomas, we, we'll, um, so we just have the idea to, um, like you said at the start in your intro, to kind of have a, a review of 2021. And we've created this prestigious award ceremony now from El Politico to just have a look at both Ireland and internationally, and we look at some politicians, we look at some events, and um, we'll just go through a few um, bits and pieces over the next while on that. So I suppose the first category, as you say there, is um, Politician of the Year, yeah. Ireland. I, I'd, I'd say, Paul, now, um, the, the reason behind putting Mary Lou in there is because I think 2021 and uh, the Sinn Féin Ardish and basically Mary Lou uttered the famous lines and it wasn't a bit uh, it wasn't a bit like they've gone not gone away you know it's Sinn Féin in government will and that is where the whole thing with Mary Lou and Sinn Féin is and um, I think you talk about reading the tea leaves and seeing how things are going and you look at we say the state of politics in this country combined with how well they did in the election in uh, 2020 and I think it's a natural evolution and I, I have stated uh, before that I think that it's a little bit like the train coming down the track and uh, they're rolling down the hill and gathering mm -hmm. a lot more moss I think it, it, there's a very strong possibility it's going to happen and since uh, we'll say there are dish uh, opinion poll and opinion poll has put them on a very uh, and I know you know we, we can all have our opinions on, on opinion polls, as the man says. You know the great one being that if you're in trouble, yeah, it's what it's what the opinion poll on the day of the election that's what yeah. counts. But I think certainly. Uh, if you if you look at we'll say Ireland, uh, there is an argument for saying that Mary Lou is politician of the year because uh, she has brought the party well, around. We'll, we'll jump on ahead. We, we we'll put her on our list of yeah. nominations. Well, most well, definitely. Well, yes, yeah. She, um, I, I, I'd, I'd be I'd be sort of endorsing the Mary Lou for. Okay. You know, have you have you have you never watched the X Factor? It's no longer there, but this is the no. final night of the X Factor where we have our finalists. So these are our finalists. So we got yeah. Mary Lou Macdonald. Okay. So that's one of our or how do you say politician possible um, politicians of the year number two I didn't I wouldn't have put him down as a politician 
as in Tony Hulan, I would have thought, thought he was a, a medic of profession. Why would you put him down as a politician? I'll leave that one to Luke. I think yeah. Luke is putting a slight cat among the pigeons there now. Yeah. putting Tony Hulan into this list. He started thinking I'd be stirring it with Mary Lou. <coughs> I'm stirring it even more now with Tony Hulan because you talk about optics and lies, damn lies and statistics. Uh, when it suited, I think it suited the, the politicians to sort of go with uh, what the medical people were saying. But if you look at how things have sort of evolved during the year, and I think it has been very noticeable that uh, a bit like, what's the one thing politicians don't like telling us? Uh, probably the truth. <laughs> okay, the two, the two, two things: the truth and bad, bad news. news. Bad news. Okay. Bad news. And okay. Bad news in this sort of pandemic-wise relates to lockdowns and sort of restrictions, and basically, uh, Neffet and Tony Hoolan and all the rest of them, they're sort of like the bad boys in the, in, in the room, sort of saying, lads, you need to do this, we need to do that, and all the rest of it. And then you have the politicians sort of saying, oh, Jesus, we don't want to be doing that. And this is where, like, you, 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 you wound up with a case during the year where Neffet started doing what the politicians were doing, and they started leaking mm. their recommendations before they went to Cabinet. Mm. And I think now that was perhaps a step too far, but uh, he's my nomination. It's, it's, with, with leaks, it's kind of testing the water, both on, on a political scale and on a medical yeah, scale. Yeah, but and medical people deal with medical stuff, right? That type of stuff isn't the type of thing that should be getting leaked, in, no, my, in but, my opinion. Uh, no, but I suppose the, the, depending on the situation that you have at hand, you're always going oh, to Tom, refer Tom, to uh, the if a med if, administration. I haven't finished. I haven't finished. I don't care. <laughs> if you go to a doctor and he gives you bad news, we said you're not going to get a politician to start come out and say, oh, well, Tom, it's actually not that bad. It could have been worse. You know, that's my point is that if we say if they're dealing purely with medical, it's purely medical advice and it's for the politicians to actually make the decision. The politicians are the ones we elect. The medical people are the people that give the advice. And if you said at the general election last year, you know, uh, are, are we going to be listening to a medical uh, person in relation to politics for the following two years, people would say, you're mad. Mm. Sorry, rant over now. Carry on. I would equally say that the politicians are in charge of the country and they're in charge of our everyday affairs from a point of view of whether our buses run, whether our teachers get paid, whether our different bits and pieces. There's an awful lot of housekeeping in running a country and the medical side is a massive part of it. And I think, as I say, successive governments have failed to probably bring the medical field or the area of our country up to where it should be in relation to ICU beds and proper extensions and all the bits and pieces. So, I mean, there's a big part of it that I would say that the government does control, and I think the, the medical side of it is just one huge area of what it, it means to, to run a country. But what I mean is that if you want to bring in something hard-hitting and you have a third person in the room and they're the authority, it's easier to blame the third person. Uh, when If I'm talking to Paul and I'm saying, Paul, really, we're going to have to close that field because of whatever reason. But I say, listen, we're going to have to close that field because Quilta have decided that they're going to cancel forestation in that field and Paul's kind of going but what do you mean I said, look it's nothing got to do with me it's, yeah. it's Quill that are t insisting on it it's easier for me to give Paul the news than for me to Paul Paul I think we should close it and then yeah. the big argument or whatever if you have a third person and Nefid is the ideal and uh, the appropriate one to, to basically be the, the kind of the the broom to beat you with or whatever to kind of say, well, look, Neffet have told us this is what we have to do. But I do agree with you in relation to they can pick and choose depending on the information they receive. Sometimes they can go, well, we don't have the money in the coffers to be able to, to put the, 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 what you call it, the, the country into a massive lockdown for six months. We just don't have it. But what we might do is we might do it for two months and then we'll come back and we'll see what it's like yeah, in two months. Yeah, that, but that's not a medical decision. It's it, no, it, but it's it, a mix. It's, a, no, it's no, just no. a mixture yeah, of both. But, but that's as I said, Tony Hoolan is not a politician. Yeah, but ultimately, you see, with, with this, and you're, you're dead right, and it's, it's this political 
political mudguard has to be always created. Whether it's in a coalition government, the smallest party often can be the political mudguard. This is what you're talking about here, Thomas. Or if it's the case of creating policy in health or policy in education or policy in defence or finance, you get this expert body or you get whatever to, come up, with, to come up with the recommendations that offer you a little bit of political cover. So I think I think it's appropriate to possibly have Tony Houlihan on that list as politician of the year because if you're inviting the Neffets, the Tony Houlihans or whatever body it is, if you're inviting them to be part of the political system, well then you've got to expect them that they're going to play the system by the political rules that you play. So the thing that maybe annoys the, the, the overarching political system, the leaking of information from Neffet, well, Neffet has to protect itself as well, because there's one thing sure in politics is that you're going to be pissed down upon by somebody on high, always. So I wouldn't, I'd be kind of sanguine enough about Houlihan and the, um, and the leaking or the kind of not having the responsibility in, 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 as, as a politician, because I can understand how Neffet are being attacked or being tried to be undermined by the political system that's there that has ultimately to take the responsibility. Um, it's a balancing act, there's no doubt about that. But um, yes, there is most definitely a lot of politics, with a maybe not necessarily a small p, but politics from a parliamentary point of view, small p, within organisations like Neffet. So I think it's appropriate enough to have Houlihan on that list as politician of the year. It's a slight, like I say, cat among the pigeons, but it is appropriate to have him there. And I, I, they I, are straying yeah. into that and political sphere. And I think the, the, sphere. The, the underlying trend, Tom, and you alluded to it there, is that the whole um, health budget in this country, the HSE, and how dysfunctional the whole thing it is, is sort of in the back of people's heads because you, a certain amount of this is you look at, we have to shut things down or we have to have restrictions because basically yeah, if we get too many people into ICU, we can't hope, cope. And you sort of look at it another way and sort of it's basically where under investment in health over decades, you could argue since Charlie basically said we're living beyond our means and sort of mm. the start of taking the beds means that there physically aren't enough facilities available. You know, it's a bit like we sort of have enough if things are plodding along like normal. We might have a few days where it's not great. But the, the, you know, the analogy to it is uh, January every year. How many people are waiting on trolleys? Right. And with COVID, the whole thing is how many people are trying to are in ICU. And as they said, if there's too many people in ICU, uh, if, if, if there's X number of beds and there's X number of patients and, and the patients exceeds the number of beds, well, then this is where they're saying, oh, we're really goosed. Because yeah. then you're basically, you have to do what wound up happen, happening in Italy at the start of the pandemic, where basically you were, cho you were choosing who was going to live and who was going to die. Mm-hmm. That's the big right. fear. I think, look, I think it's appropriate to have him on the list as politician of the year, but it is a kind of a cat among the pigeons yeah. on the list. Okay. Um, we move on. Another lady, another strong lady, Ivana Bacic. Uh, yeah. Big year for her. 2021 came back onto the scene in a big way. Yeah, I think it is. I think she's. I think it, it's 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 proper to have her to have her on the list. I suppose she went into a constituency in a by-election. She went into a constituency in a by-election, um, Dublin South East, um, Owen Murphy vacated a seat and um, stood against, I suppose, what was regarded as the most blue of blue seats, um, with James Gagan standing for the Fine Gael party, and actually won that seat in the by-election earlier this year, which... Personally, it was a really good achievement for her. It didn't, and I think people recognise this for what it actually was. It was her own commitment and her own kind of hard work over 30 years now, almost at this stage, being a member of the Senate, um, that eventually gets her into the doll. Not necessarily a kind of a Labour wave or a wave from the Labour Party. Um, very much a reflection of her own work um, as, it, as, a, as, as a parliamentarian in the upper house for a long time. And so... Congratulations to her on that. Yeah, I, I think uh, certainly congratulations to her are due. But, uh, and I think from where that by-election started, Paul, where I think as I said, we all agree that uh, this is a shoe-in for uh, the blue shirts, par pardon the pun. And then the campaign, just when it was getting started, and said, oh, that man's not living in the constituency, and he's a load of housing. And it's housing, housing, housing. Housing, housing became the issue. Right? Yeah. And then a bit like, well, where are Sinn Féin and all this? And you sort of saw, you know, the whole thing went, and it was a bit like, well, oh, we don't know, because it's leafy South Dublin, and we're not going to vote yeah. for Sinn Féin. But then we say, oh, oh Ivana, she's a nice lady. We might sort of vote for her. No, oh, no, yeah. I don't mean to sound facetious in relation to that. But to, to me, that... that, that 
that was a a very interesting by-election in so many ways. And I, I, you'd say that fair play to Ivana Batchik for that. She's well able to talk and, you know, she's a very learned lady in, in many ways. And I think the doll is a better place for her being in it. Mm. But uh, that whole by-election was just interesting in a whole sort of uh, number of different ways. Well, it is, yeah. You, 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 you talk about Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin already have a presence in that constituency yeah. with Chris Andrews. Yeah. Um, Fianna Fáil have a presence there. Um, the Labour Party, uh, historically, have always had a presence there. And yeah. as I said, then Fine Gael have, have a strong presence there. So it's, it's not a bellwether-type constituency, no. but it's an interesting type yeah. of constituency. Yeah, it's one that can sort of blow And away. as you say, maybe not for quite the reasons yeah. that... Um, that, that 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 it might be elsewhere. Housing was the issue in Dublin yeah. South East as well. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and that that if we come back to talking a bit about national politics, housing is certainly going to be yeah. a topic that we can sort of uh, knock people over the head with. Can, can I ask one question in relation to Ivana Batchi? What nationality is Ivana? I presume was she was she born in Ireland or what? What parents uh, from what? Con- no, because would imagine. she would she get let's say a certain amount of voters that would be in Ireland that would be non-Irish as well? Um, I don't think it would be a significant issue. Okay. Um, I, I I'm not sure what her her her, her, her I presume her father is. Okay, he, sorry he, about he's that. Not, no, he's, he's, not no one, he's not one of the local batchicks from South Dublin, as far as I know. Go on, go on, anyway. Okay, uh, now, the, the, the last nomination, and again, it's, it's one that I think people possibly wouldn't really consider. Maybe it's because he would be uh, full frontal and centre for, for, for the last while in lots of ways, but very understated, and that is um, on Taoiseach. Michal Martin. And I also want to kind of turn back the clock a little bit, not into 2021, but probably before that. And that's um, the former Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, and in relation to COVID. His background as a GP, would that have worked in his favour as Taoiseach when COVID would have began in relation to, he has that medical side. We were speaking to Tony Houlihan and a politician. I'm just wondering, will, will, did it, at the, at the beginning, Michal's let's say his first few months as a tender were people kind of reflecting and comparing oh he's not like oh, Leo yeah. he's not this he's not that yeah. and Leo had that bit of, of a medical background as well would yeah. that have helped Leo through the initial part of COVID I think it would have certain uh, a little it, bit it would have been uh, exploited from a kind of a presentational point of view mm. no doubt about oh, that absolutely. And, and, and no yeah. better man to do it and, and the people that surround him than, than Leo Varela but it wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy chalice to take up for Michal you see that's I um, yeah, I, I, I would put Michal Martin most definitely on that list. Very understated, um, no-nonsense type of Taoiseach. Knows and realises that there's going to be no thanks for the job that he does. And you would expect, you would expect, you could never make predictions in politics, but you would expect that his will be just a two-year tenure, two-and-a-half-year tenure, that he won't be around after 2022. So this is his last year as Taoiseach. So he's been a real, trying to keep the ship as steady as it is that he possibly can over the course of his tenure as Taoiseach. And I think he's done quite a good job on that. I think he's done a quietly authoritative, um, no-nonsense, no-flaffing, no kind of... Um, messing type of Taoiseach. And I think when we look back on his premiership or when we or his his um his 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 time as, as leader of the country, I think we'll say, yeah, he did quite a good job there. He did quite a good job there. So um I would put him most definitely on the list there. I um, I, I, I would sort of counter a little bit, Paul, and say that he's he's be he was undermined before he ever got the job. All right. For a few reasons. Now, Tom, you, you, you need to bear in mind you're talking about the health issues. Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar have one thing in common. They were both Minister, Minister for Health Minister for Health in Angola back in the days. right? And, you know, say Martin, uh, from a health point of view, brought in the smoking ban, you know, which sort of mm. a lot of opposition to him at the time, and he got it through. And that, that would elude you, Paul, a man, and no, no nonsense. But he has been undermined by Leo Varadkar before he ever got into the job and ever since he got into the job. Yes. Right? And for that reason, I said, I, uh, uh, as man says, I think that was one of your nominations for the year. And I said, uh, upon mature ref- reflection, I said, I, I would tend to agree with you. But um, I think history might look at him in a kinder version in a few years' time. The situation that we'll say we're in at the moment where you had Leo uh, and Fine Gael 
were back in government, even though they didn't really want to be after sort of getting their arses kicked mm. at the, the election. And then they wind up back in after, you know, the longest dance for about three or four months. And then they ha Fine Gael in particular, and Varadkar in particular, had a very good COVID start out. Initially. Yeah. Initially. And then it sort of uh, waned a little bit in 2021. And then you had the scenario where, you know, with the conference and supply, supply and conference, whatever version of the deal you had, that it was basically Leo was going to be there first. Then Michal was going to be there for a few years. And then Leo is going to be there again. Right. So it's a little bit like there's a ticking. A tick, uh, the clock was ticking on Martin before he ever got the job. And it's sort of ticking once he's in the job that basically said, oh, well, he only has another while left and Leo's going to take it over again. Mm. And, um, you know, the whole thing, when he actually took the leadership last year, like, you know, it's normally where you said you get a bit of a bounce. And there was no bounce because there was no sort of hype to it. You know, yeah. you're looking at it inside in the, the convention centre. Well, it's it's for know. those reasons, actually, that you're outlining there, Luke, that you might regard as kind of disadvantages and that he's managed to hold a cohesive government together despite having the pressures yeah. of Leo yeah. Varadkar as this kind of star-type member of government, mm. despite having the pressures of a, a, a Green Party that are punching above their weight. He has held a government together. You know, I, I think as and, Taoiseach. Uh, yeah, and that's and, why... And, and, and has also has, has, has had to come in without, as you call it there, that honeymoon period or that yeah. kind of hoopla yeah. thing that helps you a lot to get you a bit of momentum. Uh, and so for those very reasons as well, yeah. I, 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 I would yes. argue yes. that he deserves... As I said, it wouldn't have been an angle I would have sort of looked at originally, but as I said, you know, from going for what you said, it goes, mm, that's why you're our political analyst, analysis, Paul, you know. But, so it's very be, good, but, but a lot of people would, would disagree. <laughs> a lot of people yeah. would disagree with... The, no, they might go through... Like I say, if we just quickly review them, Mary Lou MacDonald, you can take it from the party with a historical um, performance in 2020, but even on paper, vis-a-vis -vis opinion polls, as you say there, Luke, yeah. um, look even stronger now at this stage. On 35%, there is significant clear blue water between Sinn Féin and the rest. Oh, yeah. You know, they're on 35%. Everybody else is on 20%. So they look like they will be the major party of government um, in, after the next election. Now, it's a long way out, but that's what you have to analyse. Yeah, that's what you have to and, present. And that's what we might look forward to, you know, we'll uh, say for, for this year, because the question, it'll, it won't be Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and whoever. It'll be Sinn Féin and, and whoever. And whoever. Yeah. So she, she deserves to be on the list. Tony Hoolan, for the reasons you outlined there, mm. yeah, this, this straying of the kind of the, the public sphere into the political sphere, fair enough. He's there on the list as well. Ivana Batchik, congratulations on your on your performance in Dublin South East. There were a lot of factors there as well, as you outlined there, maybe the, maybe take maybe make it not mm. quite as significant a performance as what we might think. So not politician of the year, but well done on that. And Michal Martin then as Taoiseach in kind of keeping a very kind of steady ship um, afloat under the most difficult of difficult circumstances. Tom, you have the vote. Well, I, I think it's, it's um, how do you say, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I I look at I look at Mary Macdonald in or Mary Lou. I can only ever think of the the song going through my head. But I remember the times I I was up in Dublin quite a bit at the time when she was a struggling politician, and I remember seeing her her poster outside the Matter Hospital, half dangling from a from a from a, a light post, whatever, and kind of she was very much on the way down. And here she is as the next possible potential leader of the country mm. at a next election. I think I'd agree. With Paul, in the sense that I think Michal Martin has done a really um, good job. I think the fact that he is from Cork as well, he has that, that Cork blood and the, the, how do you say, the true capital of the country and all that sort of good stuff. I mean, I, th I think he has a, a great backing from the, the country element of the of Ireland as as well as the, the against the city side of things. Tony Houlihan, um, yeah, I think he's he's had a he's had a tough year. I think his his um, his wife was also very ill. Um, she passed away. She passed away. That must have been that must have been a very tough call during that time as well. And I kn I know he took a lot of time off. And Ivana Batchit, I I I think we're we're probably looking at um, I don't know my my vote. I think because of the the circumstances involved and what we're going through, I would. I would go Tony Hulan would be my vote. Right. Well, sure. We're all in 
disagree with him. <laughs> We're doing, I'm, going, I'm going Michal Martin. So that's one, uh, and, one, uh, one. Yeah, and I would have been Mary Lou to start, <laughs> to, to start with. So we, 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 have no yeah, uh, we have no uh, conclusion yeah, on exactly, politicians. Ex- exactly. Yeah. So as in politics, a great fudge has a chorus. Go on, Tom. Move. Okay. Carry on. That's the next one. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, politician of the year internationally. Mm. Now, um, I'll walk out of the room if anyone nominates Boris Johnson. That's number <laughs> one. But I think we'll start with another lady and a very, very strong administrator and compassionate in lots of ways as well. And she's been there for years, but she's held her position with great esteem and just understated and very, very... She's a very, very strong lady. And that's Angela Merkel. Mm. Yeah. Paul. Yeah, International Politician of the Year. It's just as a kind of a, a waving goodbye at this stage, Angela Merkel. Um, I can't think of any other international politician. I'm sure maybe you might hear, or maybe listeners might think of an international politician that has really bestrode um, the the world stage. Um, and it's more in her, it's more, oh, Thomas is already clicking his fingers here. and looking, But it's, it's the way she left office is why I would give this award to her from El Politico this year. It's the manner in which she exited office, which was in direct and total and absolute contrast to so many other political leaders as they leave office. She didn't leave it kicking and screaming. She left it with a kind of a deliberate plan that she helped her incoming Chancellor Schultz Olaf Schulz, you know, she brought him to the COP26 summit in 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 Glasgow. She, you know, there was a, a there was a transition. A transition politics went on there in Germany. So, she is most definitely one of the most kind of incredible politicians over a generation now at this stage. Um, and that it's the manner of her leaving is why I would give her this um, El Politico award this year. Um, so for that, I, my my international politician of the year is Angela Merkel. Luke, have you an alternate? I don't know. Is there anybody else? <laughs> we have. We My have. Uh, no. List. We we haven't. We have an open field. Um, before we leave, Angela Merkel, um, was she the politician who basically uh, was around the beginning of COVID, where one of another party went to shake hands with her, and she basically she turned around and gave him an elbow pump or something like that. Was it there was someone that was a very it was a, it was a photograph that basically someone went to shake her hand and she basically put out the elbow and it was a very prominent photo shot at the, at the early stages of COVID hmm. when it came to politicians. Oh, top of my head, I can't remember, but the chances were it was either it uh, could have been Boris or Donald. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it was <laughs> neither no, of them. Boris no, was the, Boris was the exact opposite. I do remember him saying, I am going to go into hospitals and visit I, people I and shake hands, hands and shake hands. Yeah. And the next thing, he had COVID himself. So he was the exact opposite of that. Yeah. I can't remember that, Thomas, but it sounds like... It, no, it, was, it, was, it was a very specific moment during COVID. And she set the... Pre- I'm nearly sure she set the precedent in relation to engagement of um, mannerisms or what you would do in relation to meeting one another. Mm. And she was the, it only, it only kind of came in um, about a week or two prior to one of these big yeah. meetings. And I remember one of the first politicians of a shot, he went over to shake her hand and she basically put out her, yeah. her, her son. That was just one of those stark moments that I can remember. Well, you see, the nature of politics always, it, 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 it is about leadership in any given country. And that's maybe why Germany, for a lot of reasons. But you know, when, when you have that, philosophy that she espoused and she, she was on the stage I suppose as, as a young politician under Helmut Kohl from 1990 with the reunification of Germany she was elected I think to the Bundestag at the first time um, at that period so that's like 90 that's 30 over 30 years ago did has done her chancellorship for whatever 10 12 years now at this stage so I mean like if you see your leaders operating in a certain way you can be almost certain pretty accurately that that's the way you're society or your economy will actually operate as well. We see that in the extreme opposite with England. You know, if you see your leader is a bit of a bum, you know, the whole country is going to act like a bit of a bum, you know. So I think that's the strength that Angela Merkel brings then. And that's why you have a lot of strength then. Sure. Political strength from Germany, economic strength from Germany. If, if it you, comes from the if very you, top. You, you know, you're talking about strong women and all the rest of that. And if we talk about the last female prime minister in the UK... Theresa May, Theresa May, whose election tagline was strong and stable. Mm. And unfortunately for her, turned out to be anything. But if you wanted to define Angela Merkel as anything, 
strong and stable. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, humane as well when it came to immigrants that's right. and allowing Actually, that's immigrants into the country right. as well. Whereas, o- whereas other countries were, were, weren't were opening their doors and okay. she was basically... Again, she led. It, it will not, I don't know, the German translation. Yeah, it, she will, led. It, it will not be a problem. She's, it will not be a problem. Yeah. That's all she said. And okay, she suffered politically and her party suffered politically for that decision. But ultimately, in the longer run of things and in 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 the context of how it is the world is going to operate for the next kind of generation. Um, I think she followed the right course of action on that there. She definitely did. And I mean, one thing that has been eroded over the last few years when it comes to politics and different is principles. Yeah. You can see it from the UK, you can see it from different countries in relation to... And I mean, now, currently, at the moment, with Australia and uh, our Scott, tennis player... Scotty Morrison. You know, and he's... Novak he's Djokovic. You know, they're, they're no, trying to hold strong to their, to their principles. Novak's Jock no. Djokovic. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant <laughs> I, hashtag I, on Twitter. Yeah. Novak's. Novak's. Is, yeah. there, is, is there any other politicians, though, internationally that springs to mind? Would would Joe Biden come into that field? Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. No, I think it's too early to tell. <laughs> like, like 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 the Chinese. Yeah. And, we, we, and we'll, we'll allude to America later on, Tom. Well, um, I just think the politician of the year for twenty one no, was, no, it, was the election in twenty. No, no, no. It's a bit like it's a bit like Barack Obama in two thousand and eight. You know, okay. he, was, yeah. he he won the Nobel Peace Prize. These these awards are very serious, Thomas. The category was others' question marks. We're talking about twenty twenty one, but it's like he could have won twenty twenty had we done the awards in twenty. All right, okay, okay. You can be previous. I think like Obama in two thousand and eight, it was previous to award him the Nobel Peace Prize without having achieved anything. It's still too early. Tell, sure, I think yeah. Joe Biden, Joe. we have to allow his okay. four years. And he, he made a really good speech yesterday in relation to January the 6th, 2020, but it's a speech, it's rhetoric. Look, sure. it's too early. I can't oh. think of anybody else internationally. No, you said the you said the Prime Minister of New Zealand, you know. Jacinda uh, Ardern. Yeah, you know, she would probably get a, a, a decent mention, but it's a bit like, you know, I, I'm sure down in Australia New Zealand, they don't really care about politician of the year in Ireland. I, I don't think we mm, really okay. care about, about it down there neither. So uh, Angela for the win. Yes, okay. okay. So we're, we're no not controversial nomination Angela Merkel. Yeah. yeah. El Politico and a very and a, and, a, and a very justified winner as well. Okay. Even if there was a hundred more people there to go <laughs> up against her for what she has achieved. Yeah. Okay. Politician on a banana skin U turn. Ireland. This is a handwritten. This is a handwritten show um, schedule. There, Thomas. My yeah. handwriting. That's okay. I'm no, no. That's all right. I'm. I'm. I, I have scratch marks on my glasses, so I'm yeah. kind of navigating <laughs> between my I, scratch could, marks. I, before you go to the person we're probably going to talk about, Tom, I, I'm just going to come in with a slightly left outside. Uh, Honorable mentions. Okay. Claire Daly and Mick Wallace. All right. Yeah. Yeah. For 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 banana skin um, U-turny politicians. Yeah. yeah uh, um, can I ask the question why? Well, <laughs> that's this as a, because a pure from a knowledgeable point of view, I, you, I don't you know. Could, you could say that when they were in the doll, like them or load them, they had an effect. Yes, most definitely a huge effect. It, 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 you know, especially we would say with Garda and the yeah. you know the. The, the, the summonses and the issuing of summonses and Penalty even the Morris, Ma- even and the Morris and McCabe case cli- cli- huge climbing cli- 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 the railings down in Shannon Airport and various bits and pieces you know the, the whole thing yeah. with that and they sort of elevated themselves a bit like Ming the Merciless and went to Europe went to Europe both won seats in the 2019 um, European election European election and a bit like um Wallace seems to have gone off the rails and is no sort of a, a strong Russian advocate. Yeah, there, there, there's something odd. I, I have to express, uh, I knew, I, I don't know her anymore. I knew Claire Daly from her days as student, um, president, or president of Student Union Politics in Dublin City University, a very committed politician. Um, but the thing about Claire is once she believes in something or kind of gets her teeth into something, yeah. she will not budge one inch. And that's why this thing is quite peculiar in the last mm. year with Wallace and Daly in the European Parliament and some of the bedfellows, perhaps, that they're choosing to kind of... Um, associate. Associate with seems a little <laughs> strange at this point in time. All right, yeah. yeah. I, I don't possibly know enough. You've thrown it in there, Luke. We have maybe re- I don't know enough, but I've seen well, some well, of the headlines well, I don't, in I don't relation think, to... I don't think any of us do, because yeah. it, it's a bit like, you know, we every five years... We have a hoo-ha for about three months 
where we get all in a lather about the uh, MEPs that we're going to send off to Europe. And there's big controversy for a month or two. And then we forget never about them. About them we again. never hear yeah. about them for never the next five years. And That's it's true. a little bit like, you know, if you're the, the Sunday papers every now and again have an article on this, an article on that, you know. And I, I, I said, do you know, we say... The one time where you, I've heard from the MEPs uh, in the last year, do you know where, where it was? In the Clare Echo and the Clare Champion, they have their ads. They, ads they, they we, wishing you a happy Christmas and a happy new year. Yeah. Who have we got? Sean Kelly. Oh, no, not good afternoon. Sean Kelly, and Billy Kelleher, Grace yeah. O'Sullivan. Yeah, and, and, and this, this was the thing. Grace O'Sullivan had a nice small compact ad, whereas uh, uh, Sean Kelly had a big ad. But that's just, uh, that's a sort of an, an astray, Tom. But mm-hmm. I, I, I just thought they were worth an honourable mention. And tell me, from from a practical point of view, I mean, when do we need the European MEP to work for our country technically? Are they a representative mm-hmm. from a point of view of um, political things that you can't get done, let's say, by by channels in Ireland that you go directly to Europe through them yeah. well, to bring up something? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of legislation that comes from Brussels that comes from Europe now at this stage that has to be entwined domestically then as at some stage you know has to be brought into the kind of the national parliaments as yeah. well then uh, so it originates or it starts out from um the european parliament um there's also i suppose you you, you know you have all the different the, the, you know a lot of funding for, for our economy comes from europe and that's so they're an the official they're an official um head basically for yeah, ireland yeah, across the way and i suppose we, we because we're at the start of a new year does it, we, this, this alludes to this year technically but it sort of uh, uh is relevant that uh irish now being a, an acknowledged uh, language, language in the EU is keeping 140 people Irish people employed <laughs> translating everything into Osgoelga I think that was Eamon O'Queeve's um, contribution he did a lot of work on that whatever yeah. 10, 12, 15 years ago so all so everything kind of um, documentation wise in Europe has to be translated into Irish as well it is a thing that you know you have uh, because we say there's so many different languages in the EU you sort of said you know the the, the general language is not one particular language mm. so documents will get translated to french to mm. german you know to whatever Lithuanian, estonian and latvian and, and basically Czech. i said uh, yeah, as, as paul alluded there we said mr o'queeve made a decision a few years ago that yeah I, oh, well, yeah we're, we're, irish is our national language and you could say he has a point out of principle yeah a lot of people would disagree <laughs> right but uh there i i keep going tom there are okay. the honorable mentions because i i think the, the debate about uh the actual winner is going to be fairly short candidate list okay um uh, right from the heading point of view political or what's called a politician on a banana skin u-turn so basically they were going one direction and then all of a sudden they decided due to weather or alternatives or whatever political influence they decided to do a complete u-turn and come back and go the complete opposite so that's what we're looking at basically good all right simon coveney Again, a little bit like International Politician of the Year. I can't think outside of the honourable mention, but there hasn't been a more significant banana skin slid type U-turning politician in Ireland in the last year than Simon Cole. Okay, explain, explain. I think when you take the Zappone Zappone, um, fiasco, if you want to call it that, um, that was basically um, initiated um, and pushed by him, um, I think, and then I haven't you could say initiated by her. <laughs> oh, as, yeah, possibly. I'd, I'd push, well, I'd again, push. that's a matter of debate as yeah. well at this stage. Um, you, people might remember that Catherine Zappone, who was a minister in the previous government, the last government, would have shared the cabinet table with Simon Coveney, um, lost her seat in 2020, became inactive, actually had left the country, was living in New York. Um, so did her, her partner had her partner away. had passed away and, as well, and, 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 she, and she was going back to the states. Yeah, and she was going back to the states. Then felt that okay. Um, I would like to kind of broaden my political horizon or my, my political or spread my political wings a little bit more even though I'm out of domestic politics so felt that a role in the UN could be appropriate um, so she lobbied then the this is just a synopsis now she lobbied then the Minister for Foreign Affairs who is Simon Coveney for this role a kind of a special special envoy for well it, it, again it became even cloudy what the envoy's role was going to be and it kind of evolved into different through different iterations into different things. Um, the, so skeptic, again, the skeptic in me would, would say that it was p- potentially a case of get on the subway and go down to the UN building in New York, have a bit of a chat with a few lads, have a nice. and get paid 15 or 20 yeah, grand a year yeah. just for doing it. But, so but was, there, was there a position vacant? 
Was, was, was this, that's a good question, actually. Was there a position vacant or was there a position created? And that's, that's the kind yeah, of exactly. question that's never been fully addressed either. Oh. Um, so it, it's, a nice little, it's a nice little sinecure to be living in New York and to be kind of a member or a, an envoy or whatever for the United Nations. You know, the United Nations are probably one of the biggest organizations within the city of New York. So I'm sure it's good for booking tables and, and, and being out there amongst the kind of people in, in, in that city as well, notwithstanding the work you might do. But um, Coveney tried to pull this one off quite nice and quietly without even informing the Taoiseach. Um, so it didn't... And again, this again the way Martin, in fairness, handled this, he didn't throw the toys out of the pram. Um, and it was messy and it put a lot of pressure. It put a significant amount of pressure on the government, you know, both from Coveney and Coveney stroke Varadkar from the Fine Gael yeah. element of the government. It put a significant amount of pressure on the government at a period. Um, this awarding of this position to one of their old chums or one of their old friends from a previous government without any kind of public without any kind of public um, advertisement it's for the cronyism role. cronyism it's that, basically that, that, cronyism that's basically what it was and, and the line would say where I, I think you know I think a lot of people would have been sort of surprised with Coveney because Coveney would be classed as the the, the you know he he stood against Leo Bradford for, for leadership in 2017 for, for leadership mm. in 2017 and uh, you know he blew blew blood down in the yes. south of the country oh, the, in the Cork thing that Thomas you, talked about you know, earlier that you, al- you alluded to and would have been sort of classed as, uh, he, he'd be classed as boring but stable uh, you know he wouldn't he wouldn't be sort of uh, yeah. he wouldn't he, be lighting up a room no he wouldn't be as much of a media yeah. horror as I think Leo would have been and yeah. this is why a lot of people are very but you surprised see, see, that's the kind of, you see this is the thing with Coveney as, as minister yeah. now since 2011 firstly as minister for agriculture Coveney went in initially there's a massively hubristic attitude with, with minister Coveney I find or I think you know and this Zapone thing culminated this year with that um he went in in 2011. We were in the depths of an economic crisis, the banking crisis at the time, and we had a kind of a lot of commitments from politicians to do politics differently and the whole thing under Enda Kenny. Coveney went in as Minister for Agriculture, his first ministerial job, and straight away, his special advisor, um, they had pay caps at the time, 80,000 euros. His special advisor, he was only in the door a week, and his special advisor had to be increased to 120,000 because he was so special. So he's a hubristic politician. He's constantly, I've heard him on interviews, oh, I'm a, we're serious politicians, you know. So I can see why he would make these type of mistakes because Coveney believes he is... A bit more important. A bit more important. He, I am the sounder person. I am not the person looking for all these leaks. Yeah. I guarantee you there's as much leaking going from him as there is from anybody. I feel that he is wide open for making those type of mistakes and he made a significant one this year that put a government under a lot of pressure. Yeah, and you know the, the line about if you're in trouble and especially in, in a political scene and you're digging, what's the advice? He stayed digging this year. Throw, because away, throw away the shovel. Because of the digging. hubris again. Yeah. He stayed yeah. digging. A bit of arrogance. And I, 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 think, I think you could... You could could perhaps uh, turn that into sort of uh, Fine Gael in power for so long? Yeah, that's part of it as well. You that know? is part of it. You know, it's well, a natural well, we evolution. Well, we do if we want, you know, and sort of, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, sure, Catherine wants a job, yeah. You know. so, yeah. For so people, for, you mentioned it a while ago, Luke, for people that looked jaded and expressed a, a, a lack of desire to be in government in twenty after yeah. the 2020 election, by God, they've certainly put their snouts into the trough Absolutely. ever since. Most, most specifically, the Fine Gael members of government. Yeah. All the hassle seems to come from that yeah. side of things over the last two years. Yeah. And how has he dealt with the Northern Ireland Brexit situation okay. with, with, with rule or thingy 16? Correct. Well, in fairness to him, I haven't had our little rant there, gone back almost 11 years to the Minister for Agriculture. Mm. In fairness to him, he has done quite a good job um, in Northern Ireland. He established a good working relationship with the first um, Northern Ireland Secretary, Julian Smith, who was then fired by Boris Johnson. So he's done a good job there. Now, you could interpret his work there has been very much... He hasn't balanced, no, you're up against the likes of the DUP and things, but his balance towards unionism might not be, his might not be as good as it could or should be. Um, he has definitely, and Vradker does this as well, he's definitely playing the green nationalist card a bit yeah. stronger. And, and has, um, has played, a, he I would say, well, give him some credit now, I think he has played a good political game with his European counterparts. On the basis of Northern Ireland, correct, absolutely. But yeah. look, that was look. He, he's a little. He's, there's an element of him being a pawn in this as well. Look, Brussels, yeah, um, could see 
what Northern Ireland perhaps offered, this is awful politics, it's raw politics, but they could see what Northern Ireland offered in relation to Brexit, you know. So, look, he went along with the Brussels line. Now, mm. they were quick, I suppose, in fairness, they were quick last January when the thing with the vaccines and Ursula van der Leyen's office threatened yeah. to invoke Article 16. They were very quick. I think it was the Taoiseach's office again, in fairness. I won't let that go. Yeah. <laughs> I won't let that go. I won't let that go. <laughs> we'll be talking I think, about I that think, in 10 I years' think, time. I think it was the <laughs> office that actually... Um, got on the blower there to Brussels and Oster van der Leyen's office to kind of say, hang on a second here, what you're proposing in relation to Article 16 on the vaccination, va- vaccines is, yeah. is a very bad idea. But look, Coveney, um, look, he has, done, he has done well on Northern Ireland. He has assiduously, kind of hard-working, hard-workingly <laughs> a, a, attached himself to Northern Ireland. He has done that. In fairness, he has done that. But his but, other, his but other work, yeah, I'd he, be very he, wary his year has His year has been overshadowed, and I think his reputation has been sullied significantly by the whole Zappone thing. And this, and, whole, sorry, uh, and this whole thing about, you know, the, the WhatsApp messages being re- released and all, drip, 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 yeah. drip, drip. And then he started coming out and basically saying his phone got hacked. And you have to mm. uh, understand it as part... What's his other portfolio... Uh, you know, defence. Yeah, minister for you know, mm. a bit like you're the minister and your phones after getting hacked. This, but there's another, another element actually. Maybe I'm showing my kind of class um, here with this, which annoys me. It annoys. Look, it annoys me in relation to the Ryder Cup in 2020, whatever it is. The way we were kind of bounced into that with JP McManus a couple of years ago down in the dear. But his his promotion of this Admirals Cup sailing regatta for Cork, I think, is just off the scale and the potential. Um, it's a bit like the old white water rafting uh, gig for Dublin I think. Like we, we, we could potentially be on the hook as a state if we yeah. sponsored this sporting event for kind of hundreds of millions of euros and it's not a sporting event that's going to be kind of enjoyed by only a very select few the merchant princes of Cork that's just yeah, I, I, it looks like that now it looks like that has been stymied but it's not through want of effort from Simon Coveney um, in, in trying to bring that event I could give you one little bit of breaking news Tom totally separate to this but Paul's alluded to um, you know uh, political people looking after political or sporting events uh, there's a good chance that we might be in with England for the 2028 20, Euros keep an eye on that for this year I Thank Come you, back Luke. and talk to you about that for this later. There's, well, the there's political machinations at it, and the whole thing with UEFA is all political anyway. But we'll come back to that. that well, I'm going to I'm going to finish with the the Simon Coveney um, nomination by kind of saying, and uh, in, in a way, uh, you know, he's one of these politicians that's been caught. I'm sure an awful lot of this is going on behind the scenes and through different years of of as I say cronyism and bits and pieces. And he was one of the, he was one of the ones that was just caught. And by the way he he deals with things yeah. or whatever, it it has it has certainly harmed his reputation. But because he because he has such a difficult chalice with the financial side of things, maybe yeah, I as I said, there's a there's a bit of there's a bit of kind of we better keep him in here because he's been doing such a good job with regards Look, to things. Yeah, as opposed to hang him completely yeah. out to any dry. politician will always play that card you can't do without me like you know but again you look at another event that just come to light now as well there was much made of Ireland's um, taking a seat on the Security Council in the United Nations mm. the same as a pawn in the United Nations I think it's a two year tenure we're probably six months out or s- probably a year and a half into it now six months left in it and it's just come out now um, to light now that the Department of Foreign Affairs decided to no more so than all the people in Downing Street the Department of Foreign Affairs decided to have a little soiree a, li- a, little, a little celebration celebratory drink you know, yeah. th- again that comes from the top you know that culture that mm. philosophy that way of feeling that I can have this um, little party in the middle of Covid that comes from the book stops here Harry Truman on his desk President of the United States the book stops here I'm in charge so you have to, if those people are deciding to have a little, and this is at high level, Secretary General level and the whole thing, if you're deciding to have soirees in the middle of COVID, you've got to ask, where's your leadership? Uh, yeah, and, leadership. and the whole thing about, you know, the party, what was the hotel, uh, Paul, would say, the, the whole thing was, uh, you know, uh, Marion, the Marion Hotel. The, the, the Marion Hotel. You know, the little soiree again. Was it technically legal under the restrictions? And you, you have the boys coming out and saying, well, technically, technically according to the rules, it wasn't. But for as far as everybody else was concerned, at the time, we were telling you, no, you can't have 50 can't people yeah. together yeah. in a room. But, but technically, and this mm. is our bull, yeah, <laughs> that's the type of stuff that we don't sort of like. And then, as you said, it comes out about, you know, uh, the the 
his department basically having a bit of a, a sheen dig yeah. in, in you know it's a bit like so you, you look at what's over in the UK one rule for them mm. and one rule, rule well, for the rest of it that's you know? three banana skins now um, yeah. over the, if there's the Department of Foreign Affairs Party there's the sailing um, Admiral's Cup maybe that's not a banana skin that's more a philosophy and the Zapone gate so I think there's yeah. nobody else really on everybody can make, skin a, stroke can make a mistake yeah two is a little bit like mm, and then the third one you said yeah that's a big banana did any of the Sinn Feiners slip up this year wasn't there one or two <laughs> Sinn Féin watch <laughs> excuse, yeah, excuse the, the slipping up there always is um, well everybody every political I think he well, seems well, to well, make well, a habit well, of it what's his name David Cullinan from Waterford he seems to make a habit of it he does he does Ooh, uh, up the rats sort of stuff late yeah. at night yeah. there is, but even to go back to that if we, if we want to be fair and balanced as Luke says here in relation to the um, the, the Marion Gate or, or the Department of Foreign Affairs Sinn Féin en masse decided to move to Belfast for um, Bobby Story's funeral that was like last September 12 months 20, 2019 actually um, six months into Covid so it Mary Lou MacDonald Pierce Doherty Owen O'Brien they're all standing on the side 20, of the road 2020. was that 2020 yeah. was that 2020 yeah. oh that was 2020 sorry yeah. that was 2020 so they're all um, standing on the side of the road in flagrant breach of Covid regulations they got away with it at that time you know as well um, over the course of the year Sinn Féin Nothing like in particular I can think of. You sort of say, is there anything that Fianna Fáil did? There's use, yeah. No, they took a year mm, compared to the year before with, with the stuff. Probably nothing, nothing outstanding. No, 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 no. Nothing of significance. Okay, we'll let that one rest. Simon Colvney um, yeah. nominated as the banana skin U-turn of oh, the year. I, I think that there can only be one winner for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> we move uh, internationally and uh, the banana skin U-turn. Um, first nomination in this category, Lord Frost, Brexit. Yeah. Oh, that's my and all, nomination. And, and all he did for Brexit. And now he's yeah. taken an exit. Yeah. And most extraordinary. This time last year, Christmas Eve 2020, um, as we refer to it here, the, the, the whole um, um, package was, was finalised between the UK and um, the EU in relation to the Brexit and how it was that Northern Ireland was going to be accommodated within that. And that was presented at the time as kind of, you know, a wonderful piece of negotiating skill, um, a very workable solution, um, the best of both worlds, excellent, excellent, excellent. Within within a very short space of time, by the time you came to... Um, the 2nd of January, probably. <laughs> by the time you came to kind of the Christmas holidays over, you already had huge undermining of the deal that had just been signed on Christmas Eve. And all that undermining was really led by the architect of the deal, um, David Frost, who subsequently then became Lord Frost, who was brought into the House of Lords by Boris Johnson, and then brought into the Cabinet as Minister for Brexit. So there's a couple of, I think there's a couple of um, elements here to the U-turn banana skin. Number one, David Frost started out in 2016 as um, the Chief executive officer for the Scottish Whiskey Association. He was a low-level ambassador in the British Foreign Service. He had left the Foreign Service, hadn't been getting the promotions that he felt were his due, so he went to work in the private sector. So it's a significant enough job, um, Chief Executive of Scottish Whiskey Association. You know, Scottish Whiskey is all over the world. Anyway, so he came out in 2016. It would be daft to leave the EU. There is no better deal we can possibly get um, outside of the EU. The single market is the best thing ever. So that was his stance in 2016. As soon as the result came in in 2016, he became a Brexiteer. Um, sniping from the sidelines then in relation to the negotiations that were going on in Brussels between the UK and the EU. Um, you had all the different players. You had David Davis, you know, as minister. You had Dominic Raab as minister. You had various civil servants and officials. So he was sniping away, making his interjections. Came on then, came into favour in 2019 under Boris Johnson, was appointed as the Brexit negotiator because of his tough stance and the whole thing, notwithstanding the fact that he had changed his whole attitude. So that's 2019. So he negotiates then this deal over the course of 2020 and they finally get your withdrawal agreement by Christmas Eve 2020. So he's the best thing ever. Comes in then, he's brought into politics. So here's the first bit of it. Well, there's the first U-turn 2016 over 2019. A Remainer becomes a Brexiteer. Bit like Boris. <laughs> you know, what way is the wind blown? Oh, am I for yeah. it or am I against it? Oh, I'm against it. Yeah, so he's against uh, it. So that brings, that's the first U-turn, that's the first banana skin. The second one then, he comes in then into the House of Lords. He's not elected by anybody. He's appointed to the House of Lords. A big central tenet of the whole Brexit debate was about 
unelected officials telling us what it is we should do. You know, democracy has to reside within the Palace of Westminster by elected MPs and the whole thing. So Lord Frost, who's espousing this philosophy, is actually not elected. He's actually selected or he's appointed to the House of Lords. He goes into the um, cabinet. Then. So that's two things. That's two banana skins, two U-turns. The third one then is the actual most significant one, the one with real bells and whistles on, is the end one. The conclusion, where he goes to Brussels, negotiates the deal. It's the best thing ever. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. We finally managed to do it. Theresa May couldn't do it. David Cameron couldn't do it. We've done it. And within two months then, he's totally undermining his deal. And then you come to the end of 2021, December 2021, and he resigns. He resigns from the cabinet. He resigns from the cabinet. He doesn't resign from the House of Lords, bear in mind. He resigns from the cabinet because he sees an opportunity now. Boris Johnson is on the ropes. Um, I never agreed with this Brexit deal. We should have a tougher Brexit deal, even though I negotiated it. <laughs> I don't agree with it. We should have a tougher deal. Because, so he's making glad eyes at a kind of a rump of the Conservative Party that he feels are sort of significant and will be significant to kind of the real the European research group, the real head cases when it comes to Brexit. They'll never be satisfied, actually. So he's managed to do kind of three U-turns, flip-flops, banana skins, whatever you want to call it. So I think um, he's an absolute shoe-in. Notwithstanding the debate we will have on the other nominations, but I think he's an absolute shoe-in for banana skin. Um, um, what, what's the other thing? Banana skin, U-turn, total, absolute um, political knave. Like you can't believe a word comes out of this man's mouth. No, there's my case. I, th I think you've articulated. I've made my case. You have articulated it very, very well. I've made my case. Great summary from 2016 onwards. I know all about David Frost now. And Ooh, the uh, other nominees. <laughs> the other nominees on that one. Um, Michael Barnier. Oh, Michel Barnier. Or Michel, sorry. Michel Barnier. Um, the French presidential election. And then we also have to speak about Afghanistan as well. Will I take Barnier, Luke? And you, you, go, you go, take, yeah, go on. Yeah. Little, these are my little hobby horse people. <laughs> God damn it, that Michael Michal Martin. Yeah. How am I going to get that back up? <laughs> Michel Barnier, right? In the in 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 the same light as the um, as the the previous debate about Lord Frost, um, I suppose the principal actor on the other side was Michel Barnier. You know, and um, we all can see him now, the kind of the suave, well-dressed French EU commissioner. Um, working on behalf of the EU um, in position because of his nomination for the French government. And he handled those negotiations over the period, over the course of four years, really well, really elegantly. Um, they seem to be a bit like, yeah, like uh, he was a kind of a, a kind of a godfather sort of influence over everything. Yeah, but you absolutely. could only imagine what he was thinking in <laughs> in his own head. Well, in reality, that's the interesting thing. He, actually, but he kept he, it calm, he him, didn't he? He, he? he kept very calm. Yeah, and yeah. he wrote a book. Actually, he wrote a diary. It's actually very hard to read it. It's actually very dry. Um, it's very technical kind of. But he, he kept a diary about some of the meetings that mm. he he published that book last year. Um, I've only read extracts from it. But you know, meeting people like Lord Digby Jones. I don't know if you're come across him, he represents British industry. I mean, these people are all lulas and headbangers. You know, they're coming in here to say, you know, they basically, there's a famous photograph at the start of the negotiations when he's there with his team, Sabine Wayard, and people like that. And they've, you know, they've got, they're like a, on a desk and they've got all their books and their papers and everything. And they're ready to kind of get into negotiations. And on the other side, you have the English <laughs> delegation and they're there. They've nothing. <laughs> they're just there, kind of David Davis as minister at the time. They're just there. Well, Brexit, mm. give us what we want, sort of a thing. You know, yeah. So he did approach it in a really well thought out and kind of strategic way, persistently, consistently over the course of the four years. And, you know, was always at pains to kind of, you know, to, to present, you know, the, in fairness, the EU were always out there with what it is that they were deciding or what, they, what it is they were putting on the table that was going to be up for decision. Whereas with the UK, you were never quite sure. You know, there was never anything substantially out there to know what their basis for negotiation was. So anyway, that was Barnier's um, metier. That was his presentation over four years on behalf of the EU. Now, he obviously was very successful with that. He had come from French domestic politics, had been a member of government over various um, governments in the, kind of in, 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 the, in the 90s and the 2000s. So having had been so successful on behalf of the EU, he threw an eye towards the forthcoming French presidential election which is coming up this year, this April. Um, Macron is the incumbent. And the 
I suppose, the party of the right, the Republicans. Sarkozy's party, there from a number of years ago, mm-hmm. they, were, they are picking, they're in the process of, they were in the process of picking their candidate. Barnier felt, mm, I have a chance here. So he said, I'm going to go back to domestic politics in France, have a go, have a, have a go for the French presidential election. And he went on to the hustings, the kind of primaries, if you want to call them that, to try and get the nomination from the Republicans. And in doing that, he... Um, he totally about turned on a lot of his kind of European principles that he had been espousing for the last four years. You know, if it's the the right to movement, um, migration, we talked about that, you know, um, the, the power that Brussels might have over domestic economies vis-a-vis Brussels versus Paris. So he kind of flipped totally to a domestic audience about we have to have limits on migration, we have to have limits on the European Court of Justice, we have to have limits on the power that France has over, um, or sorry, and the power that Brussels has over, the Europe has over French domestic politics. Um, It kind of raised a lot of kind of political eyebrows that the man could move around so quickly on what it is that he'd been the real epitome of kind of European... um, Politics. Stability. St- yeah, stability. Mm. And then that he could turn so quick. It just shows you what politics actually is. It's theatre f- theater for <laughs> for the absurd sometimes that he had to kind of change his whole métier, his whole raison d'etre um, for a domestic election. And it wasn't successful. Um, he wasn't picked as the, he wasn't picked as the, um, as the candidate. Um, it's a woman, Valerie, um, I'm not sure what her name is. Uh, keep doing that. Um, it's, she's been picked now. So it hasn't been successful. So it remains to be seen. But just from the point of view of U-turn, I thought it was an interesting kind of political U-turn there just to watch that. Yeah, and so it's kind of tarnished. It's tarnished his look, time. Look, he, he would be well able to. He will stand up and he'll defend um, how it is that he operated in relation to the domestic um, Political agenda he had to pursue. Um, I'm sure he will. He, he's, he's a he, he, you know he, he's 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 a clever politician at the end of the day. But it does, on the surface of it, look a bit kind of tatty. You know that you do kind of um, throw away these principles that were so strong. Suppose in, in a way, he's 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 you know changing tack completely from from one team to another as such because you've got the domestic angle from France as a as a, as a country within Europe and then you've got the overall umbrella group of Europe so well, this is he's lo- he's he's trying to take a job yeah. for the, the opposite so to speak it's a natural it's a natural there's a natural st- there there are natural stresses and strains when you think about the European Union actually with 26 countries stretching from the Baltic down to the down down to Greece um to keep those together, and there are stresses with Poland, with Hungary, to keep those together um, is no mean feat. And the primary issue always, and Brexit is an example of this, is, is the is, are we losing our influence at home, whether that's France or Ireland or, 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 or Lithuania or whatever, are we losing our influence? Have we got this body in Brussels far away that's deciding and determining how it is that we're going to carry out our business? So, yeah, it is... It is it is um it, it is an issue and it's a kind of, it's to the EU's credit that it has managed to survive for as long as it has and you would hope that despite all the the pressures and the strains and the outside influences that might be there that it can hold itself together i i, I would describe um Bernier's efforts going into french politics as a little bit like what um if if you were a ball boy and you got caught and your mammy comes out with the line, I'm very disappointed in you. That's how I would describe the reaction to it. It wasn't something, Paul, that was a big event in Ireland. Mm. I don't know, will it be classed as a big event in six months' time? Yeah. He'll, he'll go back to doing what he was doing. Yeah, okay. That would be my, my opinion on it. Fair enough. No, that's fair enough. It's just I mean, an interesting one, I thought. Oh, oh it's but certainly very interesting. He, he, yeah. he most certainly isn't in the same league as no. Lord Frost of no, whatever no, no, it is that no, he's no, Lord no. Frost of. Okay. Adult caution is what we can Okay, we'll give him that. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, and uh, I had mentioned um, the whole issue about Afghanistan. That deals more with Lord Frost, does it, as opposed to... Well, it has nothing really to do with Lord Frost, but uh, it has um, the remnants of uh, Donald Trump and an agreement that was made uh, with the Taliban. You know, uh, nobody can do deals like me. I'll talk to, you know, I'll get a deal with anyone. And who was involved in the deal? Lord Frost? No, it's no, no, nothing no. to do with Lord Frost. Oh, it's not to do with Frost? No, absolutely nothing, okay. Tom. Uh, All right. This is basically one of the things... He's not on a world stage. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if he's yeah. on the world. He's this this, this basically revolves back down... Uh, 
uh, Tom, to, uh, Trump did a deal with the Taliban basically uh, in 2020 saying, we're out of here in April 2021. All oh, right, okay. Okay. And uh, then Biden's in power and uh, in 2021 and it's time to do it. And they made a bags of it. And, and we're going to come back and sort of uh, talk about Touching the, uh, okay. American stuff in general. But again, you talk about optics. Paul, and I think the optics of the year is basically where you see the American transport plane with about 600 oh, yeah. people in it and people running down the airport sort of hanging on to the side of it as it's sort of taken off as this is the, la the last train out the last out train of Kabul. Out of Kabul. The mm. optics of it were terrible. Mm. And uh, it wasn't, uh, there was a lot of outrage about it. And, you know, again, optics sort of, it technically wasn't the last plane out, but, you know, it was sort of a class as that and this whole thing that, well, we have to get out. And then yeah. the thing about, you know, oh, the, the, the Taliban are taking over the airport and, you know, we might get a few planes shot down and all mm. this type of stuff. And the whole way how it was dealt. A, a foreign, a foreign affairs, um, it, it's not quite a, a, a U-turn because Biden was only doing what Trump had agreed. And yeah. I don't think he had much of an option to, he couldn't do a U-turn on it, but an event mm. that turned into how it was handled, a big banana skin and a big slip up, which I think banana skin, yeah. has had a, an effect on US politics over the course of the rest of the year and how Biden oh, yeah. has been, um, how his term has gone on, which we'll allude to in a while. Okay. Well, I think we're going to take a piece of music now. Are we, got, are, we take, are we getting a winner from that nomination? Okay. Well, my, my, I, I think um, of the two of them, I think Lord Frost wins it hands down. Absolutely. He nailed it. I think he nailed it, Lord Frost, did this year. Oh, absolutely. You yeah. turned yeah. banana skin. Yeah, I, I said, I think he, he out Boris to Boris. Yeah. And that's a fair Absolutely. <laughs> there you are. But exactly. the few times I've seen him um, in the house, it's, it's, there's, there's an arrogance about the man, you know, not just uh, strength, but there's a real arrogance about Absolutely. the way he, you know. He's dreadful. He, he tried another thing there. He, he did a, a speech in Lisbon back around September, October. I forgot that in my, in my, in my presentation. He did a speech in October um, invoking his Burkean, you know, Edmund Burke, the famous kind of philosopher from the 18th century, um, kind of would be regarded as the father of conservatism and conservative politics. You know, he was, he, this man was, you know, he, he did a lot of political theory of the French Revolution and the establishment of the US and the whole thing. And for, for Frost to be over in Lisbon invoking Burkean um, <laughs> Politics. It was just. It was awful. Yeah. It was absolutely. It was, it was embarrassing. It was pound shop. It was pound shop. It wasn't even. You know, if you want to listen to something about Eben Burke, and it's a fascinating piece of thing about politics. There was a great podcast from the Field Day um, Theatre Company with Seamus Dean, who actually passed away this year, an Irish um, lecturer, and he talked to you about Burke from morning till night. Not some bum. Sure. Who's been who's been appointed to the House of Lords, and that's yeah. So anyway, Lord Frost, yeah, hands yeah. down, Lord, winner. Lord Lord Frost for the win. Tom, I think it's quite appropriate that we'll say as we're going to end this section of the show, we'll call it part one. Okay. okay. Uh, with the song, and we'll say of the events that we, you know, we we had all the good end on the old political banana skin. Always a good one, and we're going to pre give a. Uh, a preview of what we're going to talk about in part two, which is basically we're going to talk about um, the political events of 2021, okay, national and international. And on the international thing, we'll then head over across the pond as well. Is that okay? Excellent. Excellent. So <laughs> now you can wrap up this, this part of the show. Okay, well... Um, would you consider Politician of the Year one more time? <laughs> <laughs> would you, one more time, would you? Yeah. I, I, okay. I, I think, Paul, before we finish, Presenter of the Year. Thomas, Thomas Bond. <laughs> okay, for all those um, new listeners that we have to the show, we hope that you haven't been blown away with all the information that we've given you today. And uh, we'll be back shortly with part two. So thanks a minute for joining us for El Politico 2022, part one. Thank mm -hmm. you.